Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that finished Gundam Build Fighters and decided to reconquer the next real Gundam series. My name is Jeremy. I'm your long-lost internet brother. I'm Tyler. And my name is Zach. And today, instead of watching an episode of Reconquista in G, because that's hard. It's not hard. <laughs> this is way harder. But because we decided we were doing the movies alongside g Reco to see if we could pick up any extra hints or new context as we went along, as well as to go over what's going on, since g Reco is not as confusing as its reputation, but that is not to say it is not confusing. <laughs> Today we are watching Reconquista in G, movie three, Legacy from Space, harsh contender for worst movie title in the <laughs> franchise. I feel like none of them are good, but... I mean... It is kind of funny because Reckon Gista and G is supposed to have this reputation for being incredibly confusing. And I'm like, I'm not actually that confused. No, it, like what's confusing is like scene to scene action, mostly. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> even that they've pretty much fixed, right? Yeah. Now, at this point, it's mostly just like character mode. Like, honestly, like it picked up, I think, around episode 14 is when it like started being watchable, I think. And that's uh, this movie covers 13 to 18. I think. I believe that's correct. So this actually covers like most of what I've enjoyed in Rokun Gisa so far. And the SAI reference when we watched the first movie, what, one of its big points was like, hey, if anime watching is your hobby, you should put more work into it. And then this show isn't that confusing. And I agree with him. I think if you're doing an episode by episode podcast of Reconquista in G and you're conferring with two other people about what's going on in it, <laughs> it's not confusing at all. But I can see why if you're just watching it once a week, while working a full-time job and watching two other anime at the same time, why you'd be confused. We've talked about, like, are these different factions? And we've had to have discussions about it before coming to conclusions, right? Okay, yeah, I guess that's fair, because they do seem to be very fond of just dumping more factions at us. Well, and just, like, characters and character motivations don't seem to be consistent, and, like, sometimes we get multiple reactions, and, like, I think my favorite is in movie one, when they asked Belry to pilot the thing, they actually cut out one of the extra reactions he has to being asked to pilot it. Yeah, because in the, in the episode, his, his reactions are like, what, really? And then, yay! Yeah, they just decided on one. Um, but stuff like that happens a lot early on in this. Um, I think my enjoyment of this series has been greatly enhanced by being able to discuss it with you guys, though. Weirdly, I think one of my favorite scenes that they added was when they just go back down instead of it being from episode one to episode two just this hard smash cut we were in space and now we're high on earth to that point i think another thing is that g Reco definitely moves to its own beat and if you are willing to accept that beat and move at it it's a lot easier whereas if you get stuck on say why is Roraya better suddenly and that you're still stuck on that three episodes later which i think is a fair and common interpretation of this series then it's going to seem more confusing because in that time you've had 60 more things thrown at you and you're still stuck on this one. You have to be willing to move along with G-Reco when it tells you it's time to move along. Oh, they explain that though. It's the fish. <laughs> space fish. It, um, it's the cure for space madness. No, I, I do think that this movie does the best job like stitching together a lot. Like, I don't know. They just add tiny little bits here and there that just make this like, I wish this had been the show instead but it definitely still suffers from some of those like hey we have to move along quickly so we're going to skip over this bit of context or we're going to cut harshly because we don't have footage that would make sense to tie these scenes together but 
I think this is the best uh, like series to movie adaptation of the five movies. I- I've said that to you guys a number of times, but this is my first time I think saying it on the mics. And part of that, I think we talk about the weird pacing of G Reco and how it feels like it has to have an action sequence in it. And in movie two, which I think is the worst of the movies, period, and also the worst of the adaptations, it had a very similar pacing of slow movement, action, slow movement, action, slow movement, action. Whereas this movie kind of just takes the three episodes of them traveling to Tewasanga and makes it feel like one big battle with some like smaller bits in between it. But they feel like breathers during the battle as opposed to like whole different scenes and then we're on to something else. It's almost yeah. like there's rising tension over the course of this movie, like some sort of plot. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the writers of the series itself kind of feel like they have a formula, and it's like, this is the formula we have to use for every episode, and that's just what they're rolling with, so that's why it always starts slow bit, and then there's an action sequence in it, and it's just like, you know, you guys didn't have to do that. Like, you don't have to sh- crowbar in an, uh, an action sequence in every episode. And speaking to your thing about rising tension throughout the movie, we just talked about episode 18 and what a clusterfuck that battle could have been if it was done any less well. And I think this movie does a really good job of making that feel like an exciting climax. It's pretty cool in the series when they board the Crescent ship and they like make their way onto it and they're like pushing off the sides and stuff. But I feel like in the movie, and maybe it's just a musical uh, choice or maybe it's just because we're at the end of the movie and it feels natural. It feels like a real exciting climax of actual tension about if they're going to make it or not. Well, the the whole scene that leads up to, I guess, that fight with like everyone on the ship or on the ship on the deck of the megafauna, like that entire scene just makes way more sense in the movie for some reason. And I don't think they really changed anything. I wonder if that's just on a second watch. It might be that. It's mostly like, why did Mask randomly land on this and decide to break use Manny to break into? The hangar. What was Mask's plan with the uh, uh, G-Self? You know, the one he can't drive? But he doesn't know that, and necessarily. Weirdly, I was kind of expecting you guys to bring it up on 18. Like, what was Mask's plan with Manny is maybe the one thing in G-Reco that will get brought back later <laughs> and be explained. Wow, okay. <laughs> I don't blame you for not asking the question because G-Reco has trained you not to, but that I feel like is the one thing that is set up and paid off later. I mean, granted, that what question did exist of what was his plan here, but at the same time, like you said, because G. Rucko has a bad habit of setting stuff up and then just being like, we'll just leave that gun over there. So I just hadn't voiced it. It was just like, all right, I guess I'll just file this in the questions that'll never be answered. I think the interesting thing about this series in general is that there is so much you can pick apart about it. I think the problem is, like, the themes of this show are a little bit muddled due to not having characters who are particularly good Good is not the right word, who are not particularly clear mouthpieces for any particular point of view. I think a lot of that, too, is the culture difference, right? I think this is aimed very specifically at a culture, and we are not in that culture. That is fair. That Um, would make a lot of sense as to why we're not picking up on some of the things that someone in that culture would definitely pick up on. But what I was going to say, though, is like, G-Reco is not as deep, I think, as other Gundam series that we've watched in terms of, like what it is trying to say, but there is a whole lot to pick apart about it, and I think that, like... It's still definitely trying to say some things, It's definitely trying to say some things, and there's, like, a lot of surprising nuance and world-building that goes on that it just kind of, like, dumps in front of you and doesn't really care whether you pick it up. I mean, I don't know if uh, racism bad is a deep (laughs) take, Tyler. No, well, okay, (laughs) fair. Uh... (laughs) Yeah, in some ways, I think G-Reco is a lot deeper, but it's also a lot more specific, so it's harder to apply broadly. I mean, I'm, I made the joke of, obviously, racism bad is a, not deep, but it wasn't, that's obviously not 
all seeds thing is. It's like here's this, and here's how we're here's a way to deal with it. Well, yeah, so it spends a lot of time navel gazing that one particular subject. So yeah, but it goes very deep on that, right? Yeah, it, it has a lot about the cycle of conflict too, and how mm-hmm. one thing leads to another and makes it worse and worse, and how difficult. Like even though that message is so obvious, it's still so difficult to actually act in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it does it extremely well. Hey. Go watch Gundam Seed and we and go listen to our podcast. It's in the <laughs> it's in our archives buried somewhere. Whereas with G Reco, and I think I've already said this, but at the end I'm certain my my conclusion is going to be is I don't really recommend you watch G Reco, but I do recommend you do an episode by episode podcast about it with your friends. <laughs> Because I honestly think that's one of the best ways to get the stuff out of G-Reco. I think you really have to work and mine at it, which I appreciate as somebody who enjoys literature and enjoys doing that. But I also think there's less to mine here in the end than something like Evangelion or Madoka Magica. Shall we go ahead and watch movie three then? Let us do. Sure, I got nothing else. Okay. <laughs> Again, we're watching movie three of Rikungi Senji, Legacy from Space. Uh, we're going to try to cut down on the beat by beat as compared to normal. I think in this one, there's maybe a lot to talk about, but anything where they have changed things or we have realized something on a second viewing, we will voice our thoughts. The opening scene is brand new in large part to remind us where we are in the story, which is that Ida and Bellary are, or uh, the megafauna is nearing Saint Porto. The Amerian army has somehow beat them there and they are trying to figure out how to enter. I mean- I actually kind of like this scene here. Just going over it, it's always kind of nice to someone do a actual recap in a way that is actually organic and makes a lot of sense. I like it too. I like a lot of the animation of the like maps and tech readouts they have. I don't know why Ida is in her pajamas while everybody else is in full military dress. <laughs> She's getting ready to go to bed. This is her like pre-bed br- briefing. It is very strange that she specifically is... Yeah, like, if the bridge crew were in uniform, but Bellary and Ida and Curbs were all in more casual clothes, I think I would be fine with it. Well, I'm not sure if Curbs has any other clothes. Mm, fair. I like how, as part of this, Ida's, like, leaving the room, she said what she wanted to say, and then someone's like, look at this diagram of Cinque Porto, and she's like, oh, well, I definitely want to go see that. So, <laughs> And I want the audience to see my ass. We can show that now that we're in a movie, and not just the anime. <laughs> We also get a little bit more exposition about why the Capitol Guard members haven't been up to St. Porto and how it's a taboo and supposedly nobody who enters is allowed to return except the Pope and Bellary's mom. And kind of in response to this, Ida's like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> I want that to stop. And I think they give a, uh, they finally give an actual explanation for why they couldn't just dock into St. Porto because I don't think they ever gave that in the actual series, right? They basically did. This is this is a little more clear, but it's basically the same thing. Okay. Yeah, they in here they give the reason that a lone ship with no actual identification can just go into Sanct Porto. I wish they'd given us a reason why they bring the G self in tied up. I finally came up with a headcanon reason for it. I did it. too this watching. Okay. So. What's your headcanon reason, Tyler? So the rest of the Amerian fleet has been trying to capture the G self, and I was wondering if Ida was attempting to prevent conflict by making it look like the G self had surrendered. Or was a distressed ship? I thought of something. Yeah, that occurred to me. But what I think it is, the G-Self doesn't go with a backpack. So I think they are just trying to like present it as a non-combatant and that it physically can't move in space without the space backpack. So it is so that the G-Arcane is literally towing it. And that's why it's so easy for it to break out because it is just there for... It's basically a tow rope. Yeah. Yeah, that actually makes sense. 
I mean, we kind of see it maneuver without the assault pack on when it's just got the boots in that's, space. That's true. But it's still got the boots at least. So, But that is a fair point I hadn't considered. But it, And it does actually seem to have thrusters on the back. Although your explanation for it being presented as a non-combatant makes a lot of sense because Raya and Naredo are aboard it at the same time. And that was my the overarching interpretation I had of it is that they're trying to present it as like not a threat. Yeah. Is this new? Yeah. This footage, I believe so. Yeah, as I say, we uh, get a nice shot of the Megafauna docking at Nut 144. Demeter. Demeter. Okay. I thought I thought it was I just thought it was a really nice shot. Yeah, if it looks good, probably new. <laughs> I'm just gonna say probably. Not always. But... Okay, that's fair. On the second watching, I do like this line where Curves is like, I thought I could sweet-talk them after very obviously not sweet-talking <laughs> them at all. <laughs> well, I think we just see where negotiations have broken down. I think that's a matter of us only viewing him getting frustrated. Uh, this series could also be summed up as Geneva suggestions. <laughs> Look, they're like the trying grim- to find every every war crime they can commit and just going with it. They lost those after Shar dropped the asteroid. <laughs> he dropped it on Geneva. <laughs> Either that or it's just Canadians have repopulated the Earth. I like how I keep saying that as if Char had succeeded, despite the point of that movie being Amaro using space bullshit to prevent the asteroid <laughs> from landing. After Bright Noah fails to do an Armageddon four years before the movie Armageddon. Well, maybe it's a matter of uh, later on, after they started doing the whole Gundam fight, that whole situation ended up ruining everything because the Dark Gundam got loose. That's fair. Well, the Dark Gundam was supposed to fix everything, though, like Char. Yes. Why are the bad guys always naturalists in Gundam? Because they're eco-terrorists, not naturalists. Big difference. One wants to genocide everything. He just wants everybody off Earth and just realizes nobody's going to do it unless he points a gun at them all. And so he got a very big gun. (laughs) Shaped like a rock. I don't know why it didn't quite click, but that guy's on a landline telephone inside a spacesuit. Oh, we've seen landlines used a lot in this as a way to get around Minovsky particles. It's just weird to me that he's doing it inside, <laughs> inside a spacesuit because oh. it's still the same, like, handheld telephone, obviously up to the spacesuit, but it just looks so weird instead of it being, like, a just a speaker or something. Now that I'm thinking about it, like, <laughs> how is that going to work because he's in a vacuum? Well, uh, it makes sense if he's got it, like, in contact with his head. Okay. So it's more the vibrations are actually transmitting through the air in his helmet. And vice versa. I'll, I'll buy that. But it's still very weird. But it is Gundam physics, so it's a little bit like Gundam gravity. It works however they want it to. So they arrive at St. Porto, and we get a slight embellishment on the scene, mostly of Bellary being like, hey, it's a taboo. Don't just go there. And then he sees it, and he's like, wait, what the fuck? Is Ida <laughs> right when he sees how beautiful it is? I do like that. Um, like He slaps his face to like get over the fact that he has this initial reaction to it being taboo. And then the guy with the shanks is like, we only have day rentals. And, and then he's like, <laughs> stop ripping people off. <laughs> we never find out what he charges or even if it's exorbitant or anything. He just only does day rentals. I mean, this would be so weird. Like... It's like, this is a taboo. We're not allowed to be here. And then you go out, and the first thing you see is a dude trying to rent a walker to you. <laughs> it's very it's Wizard like, of Oz, huh? And I wonder if that's intentional. Yeah, it'd be like some. It's it'd be like going to like if the Vatican, you weren't allowed to like walk around, and you go over there, and the first thing that happens when you walk in the front door is someone tries to rent you a Segway. <laughs> Although I think going back to the themes, that's very on purpose, and it's about demystifying these things that people like try to th- make seem very arcane and ritualistic in order to control you. 
Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong there, and it is it does work, because the juxtaposition of them constantly saying, as they're coming up to Sanctuporta, it's a taboo, only certain people are allowed here. And it does make a lot of sense why, if people go there, they're not allowed to leave, because then they would come back and tell people it's a tourist trap. And that <laughs> repeats with Toasanga, right? Of like, oh, like, it's a taboo to even know about it. But then they get there, and they're like, this, this is just the same problems, only it's moon problems. <laughs> and spoilers is- about Venus Globe, it might happen again. <laughs> this is just... This is just space colony problems. This is even dirt. <laughs> no, it would be really funny as if it was like, Toasanga has a taboo, you're not allowed to go to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> they kind It's like do, everybody actually. has the taboo that you're not allowed to go to the next place in line. <laughs> this comes up later, but I like how much more they make a point of the fact that Cyrano 5 is kind of falling apart in the movie. Like, just, it has random collapses and, like, pieces just fall off occasionally. I like the shot leading into the, the cathedral the thing. cathedral church thing here, where there's a bunch of a Capitol Guard and American soldiers outside, because previously it was like, there's two dudes. Yeah, but now they have a budget to animate but the now appropriate they ha- number yeah, of people. Now they've got a budget to animate a bunch of guys outside, so it actually makes it look like, hey, there are VIPs here, not just, yeah, we brought Frank from accounting down the street. Uh, anyway, we get through this first episode real fast because uh, emergency life now. The direct fleet is here. I do like there's a little bit of a lampshade with this scene where Curbs forces uh, Bell, Naredo, and Raya into the G-Self's cockpit. And then five seconds later, he's like, why are there so many people in your cockpit? That was a dumb idea I had. <laughs> Let's get them all in my cockpit. <laughs> I mean, we do see the inside of the Rex Snow's cockpit a few times. It seems pretty roomy in there compared to the G-Self, although... The cockpits in this series are weirdly roomy. Look, the Universal Century taught them that the girl there needs to be a girlfriend spot in every cockpit, so. But not That's quite to the technology. level where they needed a chair. <laughs> no. like, we don't need a girlfriend chair, but we do need space for them. A real gentleman would let the girl take the chair. It's, it's really just a test. So it's really just nobody knows how to change the cockpit arrangement so the pilot can do it while standing? Didn't the new Gundam have a girlfriend chair? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> See, only Amaro Ray would think of that i think you specifically pointed it out yeah no that's probably why i thought of it so really really quick there uh there's the scene where they suggest like having a joint front against the direct fleet which Uh, is a name that comes out of nowhere in this version because raria is reacting to it instead of saying it i guess clem nick just used his genius powers to know what their name was (laughs) but bowery's mom is like a joint front, and like her hands are shaking. And <laughs> Look, it's escalation, and escalation is bad. Bellary's mom is probably the character most cut from this movie, which is maybe too bad, but I get it. We need time for these scenes where Bellary is getting his backpack put on. <laughs> getting a packed lunch. I do think, in a way, it wasn't so much like, that was a terrible idea I had. It was a, uh, you know, send him over to me because you might be tapped to go fight in that particular battle. But, we but they do hang it on the hat of the... Uh, why are there so many people in your cockpit? And Bellary responding with, you were watching us. Yeah, you were there, Curbs. <laughs> in the movie, and I can't remember this happens in the episode, he does jump off the platform before they actually transfer the girls over. That's true in the series, too. We commented on it. He's like, send them over to me. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to go over there. Because specifically, his line was like, they'd never shoot a Rex snow. We were like, well, that <laughs> didn't stop them dies. last episode. <laughs> yeah, and he, they never actually transfer them over to Curbs, at least before they get aboard the Salamandra. No, it's not the salamander, is it? No, it's the Granadon. The gr- the space Granadon. There is a line added between Mask and the captain of the Granadon 
where he's like, yeah, we were only able to build this ship because of Tewasanga, which makes me wonder if Colonel Reseda gave Gondwan the plans for the Space Granadon, and that's why he's allowed to borrow it. It's kind of implied later that he's been doing some shady blueprint uh, distribution. I mean, that's implied at all times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. I mean, if I just left it at his, he's been doing some shady. Reseda is just shady. He is Colonel Compa Shady Reseda. The editing is a little bit different on this, where uh, Naredo's like, Manny, have you found Lewin yet? And she's like, nope. Oh, look, it's Kurt, it's Mask right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a boy who's not my friend or boyfriend. <laughs> they, they did keep in Barara's hip check, which is very important. I don't know that the scene is a whole lot different, but when Klim's explaining his plan, uh, Mask comes off as even more disingenuous <laughs> um, about calling Klim a genius. I like the idea that Klim notices. He just doesn't care as long as you call him a genius. He doesn't care if you're <laughs> sincere about it. <laughs> Ferraro's mobile suit clapping is still hilarious. It's so good because, like, Mask is clapping in the foreground and it's just in the background and it together, like, the slow clap together. It's like, Mask is slow clapping, the mobile suit is regular clapping, but slow because it's a mobile suit. It's very funny. As before, Durrett is like, they didn't say anything about any sort of peace envoys. Kill them with homing missiles. <laughs> And so I actually read it a little bit different this time because he says specifically drive them off. And then I think Machiner says we can wipe them out with homing missiles. And I think that was more like if they try anything funny. Well, like the, the dire Durrett says shoot down any that act unofficially. So he kind of has the uh, kill them all. I read unofficially as like if they do anything other than run away once we start shooting at them. On the other hand, he does shoot to kill because Bellwary does have to create a rainbow road <laughs> over everyone to protect them. Still no extra context to how he summons the final level of Mario Kart to defend <laughs> them, but he uses the level skip technique a lot in this movie. You know, of all the things that they could have gone ahead and cut out, I think that particular battle there they could have probably done without because... Even in the series, it happens, no one gets killed, no one gets hurt, it just happens, and then it's done. I think it's important for the Mask and Klimnik confrontation. It's like their first time meeting each other, and that's a thing going forward. I suppose that's true. It also sets the uh, stakes that both sides are willing to resort to just straight-up treachery. And it sort of like comes up with the idea of, like, hey, we're the Earth Forces, we can team up, and maybe we should. It helps with, like I think, a lot of the inner faction and outer faction play we get later. I do like that we keep both Colonel Shifty shifting off again out of the um, cathedral and the elevator scene. Where everybody just piles in. And Barara introduces herself three times in 15 <laughs> minutes. She's like a Pokemon. Barara, Barara! Oh, I was going to say she's like Meowth specifically. <laughs> Barara, that's right. <laughs> the return of Shank Rental guy, very important for the movie though. That guy's over there like, I'm making bank today. <laughs> Uh, it just occurred to me that the uh, place where the elevator gets out is called the Festive Gate. That's a tourist gate. That's why he's there. I feel like they've commented a couple times in the movie and never did in the series that the elevator is on top of a hill and you have to go down. And I don't know why they're making a big deal about it. Just smart world building. I think this scene is new, right? Where they No, they did this before. Okay. This was in the series. Where, where they tell Rock Pie they're just here because you're here? Yeah. The negotiations are pretty much the same, including Rock Pie and Clem Nick's amazing fight. I still love it so much. Fight might be stretching the term. Clem Nick does so many karate chops. <laughs> I do also love Clem's uh, just completely... He, he's like doing a Phoenix Wright thing, and at this point the judge would penalize him. <laughs> uh, I guess he does penalize him by throwing a rock by at him. <laughs> I do love that Barara and Mick Jack have to hold back Clem Nick together. <laughs> well, I mean, Mick Jack could probably hold Clem Nick back on her own, but... Uh, 
Barrara just wants to put him in the arm bar. Barrara just has him by one hand. Mick Jack has him by the, uh, you know, the actual submission hold. Also, you see how small Barrara is? I think she's the shortest character in the series. Probably. I know. Do we ever see? Well, I guess we just did. We saw her and Naredo standing next to each other, which is a little bit shorter than Naredo. We do cut out the second negotiation scene, which is probably fine, but it does make uh, Raraya's recovery seem even more sudden because we don't get her half recovery up in the balcony. I was actually thinking that the movie did a much better job of making it seem gradual than the show did. I feel the opposite. I feel like it's way more sudden in the movie. No, because at this point, Raraya's like speaking in sentences and she's like. Well, the first one, they come out and it's the, hey, she's doing better. And then they go back and that's when the second one comes from, where she's going over like, here's who this is, here's who this is, here's who this is, where she's kind of got the half recovery. But they do just cut that whole thing out, so. And our strike two, we need to go to the moon. Everybody, to the moon. I I kind of agree with Jeremy. It does make Raya's recovery seem a lot more. Blink and you'll miss it. That's fair. And maybe it's just because I've already watched the show that it seems more natural. That's fair. Because definitely seemed more natural on my second watch. We get to see Mashner hitting on a different boy who is not as into it. (laughs) (laughs) That dude has the most awkward boner right now. (laughs) They did change that scene a little bit because earlier she told him, like, you know, don't hesitate. That's what gets people killed. And then she just goes, don't be scared, my child. (laughs) (laughs) So now we get the... What is basically the battle of this movie on the way to Toasanga, which, like I said, I like the pacing of a lot more than in the series because it's up and down the entire time, but it feels like just one big difficult journey with a lot of fights in it, as opposed to an episode by episode. uh, We need a conflict now. And uh, hey, they've got a new thing to shoot at us. Oh, no, they they, this episode they stopped. So they went and got a different one. Yeah. We do hold a lot of Mask's shifty planning before he puts the canister on the Gnosis, but I think we get just enough of it to work. <laughs> <laughs> I did, did he, did he, did did he blow show? him a kiss? I don't I think don't so. I don't think he did, <laughs> but he might have. I just don't remember it. Yeah, so in the Mac knife, Mask definitely blows a kiss to the troops as he turns away. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, after shooting the message capsule at them. I'm not sure if it's different, but I feel like the uh, scene where Belle and Ida are talking over the monitors while Danielle's watching is, like, slightly differently edited. I don't think it's different at all. I think the only difference is that in the original, it's not like the start of the episode before a battle, and here it's mid-battle, so the, like, quick cuts between feel more appropriate. That's fair. I like it a lot better in this, though. Yeah. I really just want to do a hard cut from Klimnik going, I am such a genius at taking a foot to the face. Well, that must be where the I'm a genius, oh yeah. no, meme came from, right? Is somebody so having many, that exact thought? So many people wanting to see that. Cut straight from a genius to Belry fucking up all the Morins, which is somehow even more intense just thrown here without the context. Although I feel like they do a worse job because there's not as much Ringo deciding to surrender. That feels a bit rushed. Yeah, it, but- it looks like he just does dis- surrender. But, like, I think that helps with the pacing of Belry almost killing him anyway and his desperate attempt to stop. But it feels a little bit more random from a story perspective. I think they added Belry poking him with the rifle barrel, though. Yeah, to, to knock his face back. Yeah. But, like, on accident, not like as a tactical move. Like, as he's trying to stop, he rams into it with it. There is a scene that I think is added of Colonel Reseda's shuttle docking with the space Gratodon and Mask being like, ah, oh, the mastermind returns. 
I think that's added. If I, not, we certainly missed it the first time. I think he calls him a puppet master specifically, oh, yes, right? Yes, that is the phrase he used, yes. Um, and I, I, I was unsure how to read that. I'm like, is that a good, is it good that he's a puppet master? That's not normally a term of praise. No, well, I think it's like he's a good planner, right? But also he's manipulating people. Uh, that seems like exactly the right phrase for him, right? Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's inaccurate. I'm just like unsure what Mask thinks of him. I think he's like, this guy is an asshole, but he is going to help me get promoted. So, but like, he's my asshole. Yeah, sort of. Although, it does make uh, Mariah's recovery being so much faster, does make uh, Bellry's reaction of, oh, she's talking, feel a lot more natural. Because in the series, he's like, wait, she's talking? And it's like, dude, you've been talking to her for like the last two episodes. What the hell are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, and all that stuff got cut out, so. Importantly, though, we keep Naredo's upgraded rubber on her slingshot to a slingshot plus one. Is that ever relevant? No. <laughs> I do kind of like the small changes in dialogue to Ida praising Bellary. Then it feels more about them just wanting to take more responsibility. And Danielle be like, yeah, no, he is still just like a random student from another nation <laughs> who showed up on our door. <laughs> you know, it's not like he's your secret brother. We can't give him that much. And about half the scenes, Bellary is like on there. Everybody's having a discussion. Like, Bellary's taking a drink. It always feels like Bellary's not really paying attention until someone directly addresses him. I think that's accurate, actually. No, I'm not saying that there's a problem with it. I'm saying it's a nice touch because it definitely has a very Bellary feeling about it. There's another scene I'm pretty sure that's added where Mashner's like, hey, Rock Pie, you need to do some stuff so people don't say you just got promoted because you're my boy twice. So it, this scene wasn't added, but they changed the dialogue. Gotcha. Yeah, because this was here before. Um, yeah, you're right, because like, I definitely remember that lean-in on him. Yeah, you're because right. she said, now you're falling in love with me all over again in the series, and that doesn't happen here. And his mentioning of the Alan Cato's performance, like, that's still from the series. Again, like, this is the whole, like, start of an episode, but it just feels like a brief break in the fight here, and I think the pacing works way better. Yep. I mean, this might be a difference in just the translation as opposed to the series, like, script, but the uh, Captain Danielle actually changes from saying their captain is Klimnik to- Or that spoiled brat Klimnik to their combat commander is the spoiled uh, brat Klimnik, which, it's a small change, but, like, it does put him in a specific role as opposed to overall commander. As a really minor side character, I actually like the Salamandra's captain. I, I do quite a lot as well. He doesn't do much in this movie, but like he's got just enough personality, right? Yep. Yeah. Like you, he's identifiable. It's not like who the hell is this again? Like you know who he is whenever he shows up on screen. Or to a similar extent, I also like the uh, Mashner's Nosos's captain. Yeah. Um, who, who's like kind of a coward. Uh. They both contrast really, really well with the people in charge of them, right? Yep. Actually, the Space Gronodon's captain, while well, he has a much smaller role, he also has a good defined like character design, so you know who he is. Yep. But he's also much smaller because he's also around, you know, Mask, Barara, and Rosita, who he, all are kind of just a cluster. He also doesn't play against Mask so much as the other captains do against their combat commanders. Yeah. Combat captains. I've actually noticed uh, in the Japanese, Barara calls Mask Tai instead of Taicho, and I'm used to Taicho being captain. I think Tai is like a shortening, but it's like an acceptable one. Gotcha. I think it would be like Cappy, but it doesn't like have the lack of respect that... That might imply in English. It might just be Cap. Yeah. As a relation to it. Because I think Taicho is captain. I, I feel or like it, it, that is the equivalent. Yeah, it, it's person in charge. 
I don't know if this is just me, but if you say Cap, I only assume you're talking about Captain America specifically. <laughs> I know you are, but like that would be the nominal like abbreviation yeah. for Captain in the same way like Sarge and LT are the yeah. Uh, okay, that's fair. Abbreviations for those, at least in English. I don't know what the hell they are in Japanese. I don't understand why they make Rock Pie so evil. What, what I noticed about Rock Pie in viewing this movie is how competent he is. And, like, that's something I kind of didn't notice watching the series. Like, because he never succeeds, right? But he is always close to succeeding. He, he just has like to deal with a Bellary. <laughs> well, he has to deal with a guy who's got character levels and has access to the uh, the debug menu. Well, he feels like the most competent pilot in the direct fleet. It's just that he doesn't feel as competent as Mask or Bellary or Klimnik. He has to fight a genius, a Shar, and the main character. So, <laughs> so he feels a lot less competent, like you said. No, that's that's definitely true. Like, I would definitely agree with that. He actually is remarkably competent, especially for an antagonistic pilot. I want to talk about the scene where Naredo and Raraya are talking outside Ringo's cell, because it's one we talked about when we were first watching it. They added an extra line where Ringo specifically said the direct force is what they do doesn't make any sense. And we we're like, who is he talking about here? I and think that's I, definitely Raraya. Yeah, now, I think. Right? Yeah, and I think he's specifically being like, why? It's not why was Raraya here on the megafauna, which is how I took it in the my first viewing, and that's why I was like, they can only mean Naredo. But like, why did they send Raraya to Earth on her own? That doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. I like. I don't understand what Raraya was doing. I feel like the Ray Hunting faction must have pulled strings to get her. But like, what was her mission supposed to be? reconnaissance and to see how their mobile suits performed on earth and also she does but in that case why would you send her with a prototype that you're not going to be using on earth so in the show they also say that one of her bonus objectives was to find the ray hunting kids if you just happen to stumble across them please give them this cool mobile well, suit if i remember right they said they didn't even tell her about that yeah that that was their intention but that was not part of Araya's mission okay. you're thinking of they did tell her like if you see any people who are clearly Tewasangans, capture them but they are concerned about engineers that they feel must have defected because of all the recent advancements in gotcha. our technology. Not specifically the Ray Hunt and Kits. No, you're right. I definitely misremember that. I don't know if they added anything, but I think they do a pretty good job of like putting in Narrator's empty nest syndrome, even though they cut the big scene where she's like with, with the, the doctor. Of just like her being like, oh, Raraya, you forgot Chuchimi when you went out in your mobile suit battle. It, it's think, weirdly poignant, right? And I don't even think that's an added scene, but I don't know if they like change the music or if they linger on it for a minute or maybe it is added. But I think it does a really good job of showing her arc with even though they skip, like I said, what I think her biggest, most explicit scene is. I also feel like the movie, it's still not a new type flash, but it's more like a new to or new type flash in the movie edit. Uh, just the way it like, zooms in on Bellary's face when he notices the Alonclado is about to fire. Yeah, I don't know. I do think it's better, but I think a lot of it is just the pacing, like we keep hitting Yeah, on. This feels like the climax of this fight. The poor M-team. So there's this scene where the assault pack gets mildly damaged, and uh, Bellary pops out from behind it. I kind of wish they had made it explicit, like, that uh, rock pie fired that shot gotcha that he was the one responsible for damaging the assault pack yeah just so give some more credit. something to have done <laughs> also just seeing this line again of our morons were adopted over that machine maybe when they sent the g self they had not decided what they were going to that's, adopt yet yeah that's possible although really that just means it, it they met the bare minimum and were cheaper to build yeah <laughs> yep that doesn't mean they're better dude that's not a that's not always the best thing I do like how they kept the whole like thing from 
rock pile by it has Raya sided with them has she become a crazed killer that's later but <laughs> multiple times people are like that's not Raya she would never kick someone <laughs> Raya's not nearly good enough of a pilot or you know that bloodthirsty <laughs> I do so like the implication that he can just shoot beam pieces. Yeah, it's not very Gundam, but G-Racco is consistent with it, so it's fine. Yeah, they, they have been consistent with the uh, beams canceling other beams, which I suppose does make a certain num- amount of sense because beam sabers can clash. So why wouldn't beam Be- rifles? Yeah, assuming yeah. they're the, the same thing. Which they are in Universal Century, at least. I missed. However, I am a genius. I get to re-roll my ones. <laughs> I feel like if Klimnik was a character, it, it would just his uh, special ability was just I am a genius. Once per combat, you may reroll one failed roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Probably because we've been doing so much more 40k. I was just, I was thinking while this unit is leading a <laughs> while this uh, piece is leading a unit, he can reroll one. He can reroll his failed hit rolls. Oh, and Mick <laughs> Not Jack. the unit. Him. Him. <laughs> yeah, just him. And Mick Jack is allowed to enter a unit with Klimnik. <laughs> yes. Maybe it's just because they're in space so often, but I am wildly uncomfortable with how quickly everyone in this series takes off their helmets and unzips <laughs> their suits while in space. Oh, yeah, in like, definitely. <laughs> like, well, the hangar, it's like, okay, I guess that could make a little bit of sense once it's sealed. It bothers me that they're all flying around in combat with their damn visors up. It's like you get hit in just the wrong way, you get knocked unconscious or something like that, or you bang your head into that cushion and you're leaking air and... You're done. To be fair, none of these people have really been in space before now, so it's possible that they're just not thinking about it. I was going to say, spoken like two people who have never had a retail or construction job, where the first thing you do is feel like, how can I just not ignore the safety things that are getting in my (laughs) way without anybody saying anything? So when I was watching the series, I didn't realize that there wasn't a colony on the moon and that it is just Cyrano 5. It's just that they have a bunch of solar panels on the moon. Presumably to power Cyrano 5? Yeah, that's my assumption. Or at least maybe originally they were supposed to do that. Maybe they don't do that anymore. Someone later makes a comment um, of like, I I think it's actually Naredo says like, isn't that too energy inefficient to be like structured that way? But like half the moon is covered in solar panels. So which is what Ida wants to do to the earth. Yeah, Naredo is like, this shape expends too much energy. And I don't understand what about this shape would expend energy. It does seem like the colonies rotating along around the asteroid wouldn't serve any purpose. Like, maybe it's for gravity. It, it's got to be for gravity. It's got to be for gravity, but um, maybe it's because they it's it's that stacked thing and they're all rotating in different directions. Maybe it's for gravitas, just to make it seem a little bit more d- dramatic. <laughs> Much more dramatic panning scene of the salamandra as they're going in. I do like, it, it makes it a little bit more explosive that the salamandra and the megafauna are like going in, like they can see each other going into port. They're basically going in side by side. But they end up in very different spots. Yep. I'm also a little bit confused that everyone's like, man, this is very suspicious. Like, isn't this where Mariah suggested that they dock? Yep. Mariah didn't suggest it. She said the Southern Ring. Yeah, but she didn't say this port. Okay. This, presumably someone from on the s- station said use port one. I do kind of like the just slightly longer scene we get of Klimnik and McJack seeing Cyrano 5 and be like, oh, it's a weird, like, fishing village why do they have a weird fishing village before gavin jumps on them (laughs) he also notices a cloud of dust coming from above and i actually wonder if that's from like a recent cave-in or something yeah well it also it does kind of lead into the uh situation with all the leaking gravel from later in the series and later this 
cool that we get to see. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was talking about, is, like, Toa Sanga really seems like it's in disrepair, and, like... Well, and we get a bit of that in the series, right? Like, there's yeah. the bit about how, like, oh, this used to be underground, but it caved in. But you're right, they do emphasize it a little bit more. What is self on Cyrano? <laughs> Does she just mean the bottom? It's probably that. It's probably like they're oriented as south is the bottom of the station and north is the top of the station. Or it's just furthest from the North Star. <laughs> Maybe, actually. Flammy's dialogue also makes it m- more clear she's concerned about the Zax and Gavin showing up, the one who are off attacking Klimnik, and that's why she wants them to crouch down, which makes sense given how physically close they docked. I think also we see a shot of a Zax Zax is it is a singular Zax? Yes. Um, we see one walking in the background, and I think that was added to the movie. I do li- like her reaction. She sees Ida, and she's like, "Holy crap, it's Ida!" And then Naredo's like, "Hi, I'm Naredo," and she's like, "Yeah, whatever." And then Belry <laughs> comes up, and she's like, "Holy crap, it's Belry!" <laughs> oh shit, they're both here. I'm surprised she recognizes them. Maybe they just bury strong family resemblance. I assume she recognizes Ida, but it's not until Belry says his name that she reacts. And I feel like it's like a hey, are you the princess? And then a guy named Bellary shows up. And she's like, oh. <laughs> I feel like because of the fact that he, when he introduces himself, he's also like pushing his hair out of his face, that it is a strong family resemblance for both of them, which is why she is so surprised. Because how would she know their names? Or that who they are in she, relation to what she's looking for? She does seem to be with this faction, right? And so I think she's in on the G-Self plan, and they did show up with the G-Self, so she may be thinking it already, and then they're... They're just extra dots to connect. I love how lovingly crafted all the hemp leaves are. <laughs> we do skip the scene where they like come out in changed clothes. They're just the next time we see them, they're just wearing the random clothing they had laying around for them. We skip the dinner scene too, which I think is cleaner, honestly. Yeah. I also feel like this uh we're on the scene with the Garandan um where they're recovering a crate. And I think the dialogue has changed. Yeah. I think it's to give the Capitol Guard slash Army a more naturalistic slant. Because they're like, oh man, I know it's the moon, but it's still such a shame to cover it in solar panels. Not that we can look at it through a telescope or anything anyway, but... Also, Compa Reseda gives us a reason why it's called Cyrano 5, so we don't have to speculate anymore. Well, I, th- I think they said that in the series, too. They did not, because we were s- speculating that they put five asteroids together. But it's five rings. Oh, well, I, th- I think they gave us the Cyrano, why it's called Cyrano. They did. They okay. did. The bit about the nose. That- That's the part that I'm just getting mixed up. Well, it does feel a bit strange that they just kind of jumped over the reveal of them being related. Well, I feel like they do it later, right? Like, they're trying to prove it, because before they say anything, they're like, oh, yeah, come see for yourself. And Ida's like, a secret drawer. That I must have been clearly labeled. They're not labeled, but mm-hmm. it's obvious. Yeah. It's not secret at all. But no one bothered to look. At this point, Ida realized that she lost her marbles. Well, she's just realizing that she just found her marbles. She didn't know they were lost until she found them. Which is almost exactly what she says, which is, oh no, that's just weird. I guess I've never been an amnesiac orphan, so (laughs) (laughs) maybe this is a relatable experience. Put us up. (laughs) You've never, like, had the feeling of, like, realizing you forgot something or, like, remembering something and not realizing you remembered it? You're giving me a look like you haven't, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember ever experiencing that, but. It's not feeling. It's never been that I am secretly a moon princess, though, so. <laughs> I don't know if it's the translation or if the dialogue's just been cleaned up, but I do like Ida's reaction to everything here more. And she doesn't absolve Belry right away, because we get a scene of it later. 
but she's just more clearly like, ah, oh, so I guess you sending the G-self is why we're in such trouble, which really isn't the case for Ida at all. Yeah, because she was a pirate before this. Well, she was explicitly a pilot before it, like... They, the L and R are easy to confuse in Japanese, so lots of pirates are pilots by mistake, just by phonetic <laughs> mistake. Well, I mean, like, she was obviously, before her uh, competency was sapped by other people throughout the series, she must have been a relatively, you know, competent pilot to be chosen for that whole, like, false flag pirate ship operation. Or she's a Nepo baby. She is She is that. I mean, we she do does have that. the G-Arcane fancy ship. <laughs> Never so. been. I wouldn't say Bellary's a murderer. Just soldier. They're not the same thing. Surely he's uh, defied some of the Geneva Conventions. He's, he's not G-Rex been out. charged in a court of law, therefore. <laughs> he was charged under pirate law, though, Zach, and found guilty of murdering They never lover. charged him under pirate law because Captain Danielle would have had to run the trial, and he never did. <laughs> yeah, he said, that sounds like too much work, and I forgot how it works anyway, so. Who are you again? <laughs> I'm Zenum. That name sounds familiar. I still wonder that, like, did nobody look at this and go, he should know this information already because he literally said it. Alzheimer's, Zach. It's the only possible explanation. At least it comes, or when it comes to his recollection, I don't trust him as far as I can Danielle toss him. Drop the Danielle, it's a cleaner joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were trying for a pun and it doesn't quite work. The. No. I was not trying for that was a pun. He's, it was just right. a bad pun. <laughs> uh, anyway, we get the most important scene added to the movie, and probably my favorite of any added scene of Bellary having a breakdown about Ida being his sister. Why did the they woods. animate it like he needs to take a leak? I he doesn't know what to do with his hands. I think <laughs> is what's going on there. And then he Naruto runs through the forest, which was great. Uh, <laughs> uh, cut to Ida having kind kind of similar conflict with like. Uh, that boy has saved me. He also killed Cahill, but also he's my brother, and, like, I don't know what to do with that. This is a complete and total mess. Um, cut back to Bell, who immediately trips as we cut back <laughs> But he to turns him. it into, like, a link flip roll. <laughs> yeah? He turns it into a speedrun tactic <laughs> as he's like, Wow, this is all my dick's fault. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was a genius using cool new backpacks, but I did it all for the noogie, and it's my sister. <laughs> and that ain't gonna happen. Uh, but then he rolls over in the grass, and right as he's like starting to calm down, a random Nobel <laughs> comes up and finds him. <laughs> I like how he's, or it's like, health check. <laughs> And he's like, oh, God, Naredo, how long have you been watching? Please say you did not see any of that. And she's like, hey, your sister misses you. You should go check up on her. And he's like, he's not disgusted that she's his sister. He kind of is. He's not disgusted with her that she's his sister. He's disgusted with him. him. (laughs) That's true. So Naredo's like, man, I I will admit when I found out she was your sister, I thought I won by default. Uh, anyway, please forget I said that. It's fucking pathetic that I wanted to win by default. <laughs> Winning by default is not how you want to win romance. Uh, anyway, I think this scene is very important for establishing Naredo's motivation. It's good to know, even if I don't think it's well done. I mean, it is kind of what we'd all just expected. Yeah, but it was ambiguous. Does she want more than friends, which I think a valid question. I think she does, but not enough to push for it. Yeah. I mean, it's very Japanese romance, right? And also very an 80-year-old writing Japanese romance. So we get a different version of the balcony scene that I think works a lot better. 
between Bellary and Ida, where like instead of her just absolving him for the murder because he's her brother, they like sort of work it out. And she's like, hey, sorry for giving you literal suicide missions to try to avenge my lover's <laughs> I was death. trying to get you killed. Good job passing all of them, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I want one of my marbles. It's and, from my dead boyfriend. Yeah, she specifically says, Cahill says you're doing great. Here, have a marble. Anyway, you're my new Cahill, but not romantically, because you're my brother. And then we never see that marble ever again. No, because it's only in the movie that he <laughs> gave it to her. That she gave it to him. I do like that scene, actually. No, uh, I like it a lot. I think it's exactly what we wanted. It, that whole sequence is actually really well done. Yeah, I think it's like, that's why, honestly, this is my favorite movie. Even though there's a bunch of other reasons I think it is a good adaptation. That's the best scene they added to any of the movies, in my opinion. And they had some critical stuff in movies four and five. Yeah, taking that out and, and you know, actually giving Bellry that little breakdown works really well because previously it was just like okay and then he has a very brief like you know ray hunting yeah right type of situation later on but he never really has this i need to come to terms with the fact that i've been trying to get into this chick's pants and she's my sister ray hunting more like lame hunting anyway (laughs) in contrast though i do think the scene makes the bellry's tantrum that's about to come up a lot weaker because in the episode, it makes it feel like he's just putting off his feelings and then he has to express them by going out to shoot something. I actually, I read this scene a little bit differently and I, I think it's a little bit differently edited to make it more look like he was going out to legitimately just check on the salamandra and ran into a wild. I think they are trying to, but I think it still makes the scene weaker, right? Yeah. And I think they should have really pivoted it to him like struggling with the fact that his mom isn't his mom and he's from space. Because that was part of it in the original anyway. It's just like all the stuff is jumbled up and he's dealing with it. And he's dealing with the, you know, the Ida stuff, the mom stuff, the, you know, everything at the same time. Whereas here he's kind of gotten, not got- over it, but it's more settled with Ida. Yeah, he's he- had a moment of catharsis at least. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the uh, r- lame hunting line in this um, and instead immediately focuses on the Garandon. But is intercepted by a Gavin whose long nose wishes to defeat him. <laughs> but he still reacts to the Gavin team super, super emotionally, which I think is why this, like, the editing they're trying to do doesn't work. And they also still are like, hey, Bell went out without permission, which also seems weird for him to do if he's not in an emotionally compromised state. Yeah. Anyway, Bellry still kicks all these guys' asses in the net. We don't see the shield Vulcans, though, just guns coming from somewhere. So maybe that was an, uh, supposed to be the head Vulcans all along, and they miss animated it the first time because it looks super awkward here and the movie mostly makes things look better i have a sister now so you know i'll kill you again or if you do this again that yeah, that's what hero yui was always trying to kill relina for because he had a sister right does he no he does not i saw something recently that was like hero i'll kill you doesn't mean what you think it <laughs> what you apparently think it means or maybe it's uh relena is like I think it, that doesn't mean what you think it means relena <laughs> yeah not in bed <laughs> i mean it's definitely their kink there's even a bit in the series where hero threatens to kill relena points a gun at him and duo saves her and she yells at him and he's like what the fuck <laughs> isn't that around the hospital yeah it's surely for the hospital yeah, I do. Rem- I, I do vaguely remember that. Ah, uh, Gunsmoke Wing isn't good. Hello, it's me, your favorite podcasting internet dice goblin, Tyler. Uh, thank you for listening to our coverage of movie three of Breaking Gisa and G. Uh, probably the best movie so far. 
Actually, that's not even a contest. It is just definitely the best movie so far. Maybe the best movie overall, according to Jeremy. Uh, we haven't actually watched past that yet. This is a time where I plug our Patreon.com slash LastPodcast, where you can get a bunch of bonus episodes in addition to all of our episodes early. Uh, we just recorded our bonus episode for December, which is going to be watching Gundam Wing Endless Waltz with Kevin. I've never actually watched the movie before recording it for the podcast, and it sure was one unit of 90s mecha anime. Um, I do not have strong or particularly fond memories of Gundam Wing, as we've talked about briefly. My experience with it was mostly from playing video games that included snippets of the plot, and I actually think that is not a bad way to experience that show. Um, so anyway, if that sounds interesting to you, uh, please go check out our Patreon. Um, it's $5 a month or $1 a month. If you just want to, uh, send us some money, that would be fantastic. Um, it's new mixer time and I need to do some research on a new mixer for us. Also, you can head over to our discord. You do not need to be a patron for that and hang out there. Jeremy just reorganized the channels. Um, and also we're starting a reread of one piece or in my case, a first read of one piece. So if you want to join our one piece book club, I guess that's what we're, we're calling it. That's definitely what it is in spirit at the very least. Head over to our Discord and join us. Uh, we just finished Volume 1, which is the first eight chapters. It's a fun time, and there's been some pretty good discussion already. So, if that sounds like your jam, um, and you need an excuse to read One Piece, go over there and do that. We also have a bunch of other channels. Uh, we finally reorganized stuff so that uh, it's not all just Warhammer all the time. It is mostly just Warhammer all the time, but it's not just that. Uh, we've, we've been talking about 3D printing... Um, I posted some resin stuff that I've made over there, so, uh, yeah, it's just a bunch of internet nerds engaging in nerd hobbies, um, and if you want to be one of our nerds, you can just do that. The link's on our website, www.lastpodcast.com, under the contact us section. Okay, that's it. Um, that was, I feel like, a much longer plug than normal, but we've gone, done, and changed some stuff recently, so I think it's probably warranted. Okay, let's get back to the movie and encounter some guy trash. Anyway, the Garanin gets here and it's immediately time for space cleanup because we don't have time for the scenes in between. That was one of my biggest problems with the movie is like the space cleanup episode just kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, again, maybe we could have seen the rupture. Yeah, added in the accident. Yeah. We see more of the results because we see debris spilling out of the colony, which we didn't before. But we don't see how it happens. And we at least have shady guy from Toasanga being like, oh, I want to help you guys because I am also part of the photon battery distribution chain. And yet Mashner gets a call that's like, wait, the plot of that episode has begun. All right. There is a slight scene with like a one of the diplomat guys in the hangar is added. Colonel Kragen. Yeah, he's added to be like, hey, I support you. Via support. Form of a Bifron. <laughs> and hey, there was a floor collapse, which, here, have this thing. Yeah. Nobody, none of us want it, so you can have it. <laughs> here, get, give it to the pink one. It's, it matches. <laughs> yeah, Raya has this line about the debris in space being like, oh yeah, this happens every couple of years, where just a piece of the colony we live on falls off. <laughs> Although I think it's a slight change. Bellary is in the G-self at the start of this. Yep, that is a change, because originally it was Raya. But, like, this whole scene is new of us seeing the debris coming out and them starting the cleanup right away. And Ida being like, hey, we can't go back, or Toa Sanga is just going to use it as an excuse to seize us. 
like the Grotodon and the Salamandra, where I was like, oh, your moron is a great machine, which is why I'm abandoning it for the new Nuedo I got. Which she specifically says is the suit she learned how to pilot in. Yep. Well, that's from the series as well. What are Barara's rabbit ears? Communicator knives. (laughs) A fashion statement. I would assume antennas or just a fashion statement. I like the idea of them being communicator knives, like the zipline gun that Mask has, except she just throws a knife at something and she's like, now I can talk to you. (laughs) Well, I mean, we all do know that is much more difficult than it seems at first blush, right? They're big knives. knives. It's weird to me that this is Raya's first time seeing the Crescent ship. I assume that it doesn't dock because it's so big, and she's probably not outside the colony very often. Yeah, I guess so they don't have windows. Yeah. That would be my guess, is that she doesn't spend a great deal of, or wasn't spending a great deal of time outside, and if she wasn't outside on a time when it was around, she wouldn't necessarily have seen it. It just seems to me like it would be a televised event. Also, I just noticed that they have an owl clock on the bridge of the megafauna. Has that always been there? Uh, I don't know, but I also noticed it just now, so I'm going to say no. They also clean up the line about uh, Belri teasing out Colonel Rosita's shady origins. Gundam Shady Origins should be the next series we do. <laughs> Which one is that? Uh, that's the one about Shark trying to kill Garma. <laughs> That's the rose blossom gene of the Ray, Ray Huntins. I don't understand what they're reacting to. Is like, yeah, we'll go clean up debris. The ambition of these children. Sadly, we cut most of Barara having to fix the Bifron mid-flight, but we do get her being like, yeah, the wonder they gave us this it's so shittily built. It does kind of remind me of uh, the mobile armor from previously in the series. where The, the armor Zagan. Yeah, the armor Zagan where uh, Mick Jack is like pulling... Like, out of the circuit boards and circuit boards and replacing them. I kind of wish we got more of that just from like all the suits are just like all kind of jankily built <laughs> would be really funny. Except for the G self, which is why everybody wants it. Yep. What, you mean you don't have to repair this thing every time you fly it? I mean, it's fine for it to be like one offs like the Bifron and like the armor Zagan and stuff like that, where it's like, yes, this is a prototype. So, of course, it's very janky, but it would be nice if someone does something and then is like, oh, crap, I have to. Like, I had to f- hit the fuse. Like, it, it, that tripped a fuse or something like that. Man, as uh, Clem and Mick are taking off to go join Space Debris Cleanup, they really have some Jesse and James energy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's they really, really do. I do love how, still, as was in the series, Mashner's just like, oh, god damn it, Rock Pie, just go clean up the debris. Rock Pie, go clean up this mess, not the political one. I know you don't understand those. <laughs> The physical one. I feel like I can trust you for physical things. And physical things only. Still have a Rariah spinning out of control. And still no explanation for how or why. But it does start a fight with Barara still. Yeah, it's important because she does smack Barara on the face. Not in a damaging way at all. But, you know, Barara ain't Repeatedly. gonna take that. Well, um, I think part of the problem is that Ringo following along behind her still thinks that, uh, She's uh, Raya started a fight with Barara instead of it just being out of control. What exactly is Ringo's interest in Raya? I don't understand why oh, he, he seems to have a crush so on Raya. Yeah, I think it's the same as Bellary's interest in Ida. Okay, that's fair. She's hot and on the megafauna, therefore I'm now on the megafauna. <laughs> they should rename the megafauna the Honey Trap when they officially <laughs> accept it into the Amerian army. They do reanimate a bunch of the cleanup, although I still like how into it Klimnik and Mask get. They, they all do get very, very competitive still, which is still great. Anyway, Rockpie's like, I must return to the commander. 
for reasons that won't be explained. <laughs> I'll explain once I'm back, but not to the audience. I realized that as guy trash, I deserve to pilot the guy trash. <laughs> well, right after he does that, we get to Colonel Rosita boarding the megafauna for uh, reasons. The, the scene seems even faster in the movie. I don't think it actually is. It just is differently timed. And so it feels like everybody's just casually doing stuff and like he, they should stop him. I think what happened is that he was just going to go find someone to talk to. I do like that they managed to animate him being surprised when LaRuca comes up. Actually, it looked like he was going to go after Flammy. Yeah. For uh, a second before LaRuca jumps him. But I think he was looking for someone to talk to. I don't think he was intending to sneak around the ship so much as like make contact because that's what the captain of the shuttle said. Yeah, I have no idea why he wanted to. I, like, yeah, sh- I shady know. reasons, surely, but I yes. have no idea what those shady reasons are. He I, needs to sell his Shady Ray sponsorship. It just seemed like it was he was looking for Flaminia or something like that, because as soon as he, like she says something, he puts a foot on the balcony like he's about to jump down. Uh, as soon as Ida shows up, though, he's like, Rosita, away! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Piana Kaluda, and sh- she's like, wait, you said that name earlier. I do kind of like how this movie tries to make it seem like this is the point where Ida decides they should go to Venus Glow, but figure out what's going on there with photon batteries and maybe find someone to mediate this mess. And Laruka's like, wait a second, that's not a great idea, and then everyone distracts him, so. Uh, so anyway, time for the climax. Master finishes her aerobics and is like, okay, I got you your guy trash, Rock Pie, so you have to beat Gavin at beating the Earthnoids. You can't use rifles. Fortunately, the guy trash has no rifle. Just a beam mantle. It's like got big guns on the front, too. But no rifle. This is one little piece of detail that I like, is that there's goo from the gel curtain all over the Nosos when it takes off. Yeah, that is cool. Like, gel curtains in general are something we haven't really talked about on this podcast, but they're like a cool bit of sci-fi thing I like about that keep being the thing to insulate the space. I didn't really understand what they were until watching this movie and seeing, like, the residue left over on it in this one shot. I think this movie is the only one that actually mentions a gel curtain. Well, they mention it in the series, but, like, I didn't really think about it. Yeah, me neither. It it was just sci-fi babble as to explain why the... They can just fly fly in and out out without having to worry about, like, everybody inside the hangar wearing spacesuits. But it turns out it's goo! There's an extended scene of them helping clean up and a bunch of Nuedos out here doing it as well. I kind of like it. There is this fun scene where Bellary curbs Ringo, Ringo and Nuredo. Well, because Ringo initiates because he wants to talk, but they're all trying to talk via contact link because they're talking about secret plans. And so they're just like all awkwardly humped together <laughs> trying to talk about how the megaphone is going to get away without the G-Self being caught. I do like how Raya asks after like she parks the Neodu and... Like, can I leave it like this? It's like, can I park here? I didn't see a disabled parking sign. Laruk is like, ah, oh, it's going to be a fight among three opposing forces, forgetting about Ameria and Ameria. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an all-out brawl. So the Gavin team versus the Rock Pie team versus the Megafauna team versus the Mask team versus, versus the Klimnik Klimnik a team. genius. <laughs> a genius. Featuring Mick Jack. <laughs> Ah, yes, but first, That's the tough. boarding action of Manny and Mask. It's like it's almost successful. Um, I didn't read this scene as well when I was watching it on the show, but the movie makes it a lot more obvious that Naredo recognizes Manny coming in to open the hangar. I don't think she necessarily recognizes it's Manny here, but she recognizes it's somebody, and that's why she goes down to intercept, and maybe she suspects. Well, she does say that's, you've got to be kidding me. 
So I kind of got the impression that she recognized that it was Manny as well. And that makes sense. Because when she confronts her in just a second, she's like, it was you, Manny. I still don't, I really don't understand why why we brought Manny along for this other than to get her on the megafauna for, for megafauna? The megafauna <laughs> for plot reasons. I mean, if it's somebody, if, if Mask is going with people that he absolutely has to trust, I don't think there, besides Barara, there's anybody on board the Gronadon that he trusts more than Manny. What a- <laughs> And there's certainly no one trained for boarding actions, right? So it's That's not like fair. there's someone she, he could have picked that was better. I mean, there was that one mobile suit pilot he goes out with that has a name. Stefan. Stefan. Like I said, this is the one thing that will be explained later. So you have that to look forward to. I do love how everybody is still just kind of doing their thing as Manny comes in and is like opening the door. And there's a guy literally like two feet to her left. Yeah, you think Bert would shoot her. Well, a lot of people were kind of freaking out that the hanger got opened, too. This scene also kind of comes out of nowhere. We don't really have any explanation. And, like, it ha- happens out of nowhere in the series, too, is, like, why is Mask doing this right now? Did he have negotiations off screen that we didn't see? Or I'm willing to buy that because everybody wants the G-Self, right? And that's his point. He's like, I also want the G-Self on account of that. It is valuable, therefore it is valuable. Everyone's working off of the G-Self standard of currency. Yeah. Calling her Miss Mick next to Captain Clint <laughs> seems just wrong. It is funny, though. Although it's probably just a translation. I think he call yeah. I think he calls her like Mixan or something yeah, like it that. It is definitely, but <laughs> gotta keep the rocket kick. Yeah, that's important. Gotta sell those Bifron models. Certainly no one bought them the first time around. <laughs> the Hecate's head is so creepy looking when it's just the whole background of Clem Nick's shot. I love the Hecate's armament, but I really don't like its des- like physical design, which I think is going to hold it back on its list from getting potentially very high. I like most of it. It's the head that holds it back for me. I was to say that just the fact that it has a chain gun with a machine or, or, with, or a chain gun, a... It has a, a minigun yeah, mini with, with a, chainsaw a, bayonet. Chains, a beam chainsaw bayonet. Look, and it's pink. It's still These are do okay. all of my favorite things. It's still going to do okay, but I think it's going to keep it out of like the top 10 because and it, it doesn't is, look good. Weirdly, it's probably my third favorite color. I was just thinking uh, that that song from Mary... Is it, no, it's Ben Nodders and Broom 6. These are a few of my favorite things. No, <laughs> no it's, it's top five, but it's not the third one. I actually do quite like pink. Pink's a great color. Yeah. Uh, we certainly wouldn't know that from your uh, hair at the moment. I feel like his Although hair is more, more purple, purple My, my right purple now. hair is definitely purple right I'm, now. I think it's the, magenta, the, the way the, the way the light is hitting it, it was hitting it like exactly right to make it look pink from where I'm sitting. The official name of this color is Lusty Lavender. It is n- <laughs> neither of these things. <laughs> it's too dark to be lavender. I, I agree. Tyler dyes his hair weird colors for the listeners. This is This can't be arcane podcast knowledge. Like, People have to, like, anyone who's listening to It doesn't to the show come for, up on a regular basis. That's fair. Yeah, it's not a visual medium, Tyler. We still get the shot of Gisela giving Steer the, the iPad monitor. screen. <laughs> I like the change when Barara, uh, when Barara, when Bellry tells Ida, or not Ida, I can get names right. Rariah, we can only tie it, we can tie him down lightly, and she responds with, I know, and not like, in the series where she sounded confused. Like, why would I do that? Again, not much about this fight has changed, but I really like how good they are at making it feel like a big, important climax. Because it is a five-way brawl, all of our characters are involved. Gavin feels way less important in the movie, but that's fine. It's not like <laughs> it's he was Gavin. that important in the series either. And everybody is shooting, at, you know, everybody's shooting everybody else. And it's a slow escalation as it still gets that effect when Mass brings out the missiles. Barrara's line has changed a little bit where she just says, I was about to lose at the superior numbers, whereas I think in the show she's like, 
I, I can't believe you care or something to that effect. The change so it makes it seem more like Ida has decided that, you know, we're going to join up with the Crescent ship. And instead, it seemed in the series kind of more of a desperation ploy. I think that was the implication in the series, too. I think they just make it more clear in the movie because they are trying to make Ida's arc that she's more and more in charge, which is weirder and weirder with Danielle there, except for he has Alzheimer's (laughs) and can't command. So actually, no, it's not that weird. Well, I mean, it does also kind of track because Clem Nick is clearly in charge of his little unit. Yeah. Just who died and made Ida in charge because her dad is still alive. She's the princess. Also, Clem Nick's dad's not dead either. Yeah, she's double princess now because she was already referred to as princess earlier. So is she princess squared because she's princess in relation to two different nations? I think she's just princess plus one for now because it's one plus one is two. One squared is sadly still one, so. (laughs) She's a princess of space plus one. (laughs) Yes. Well, is she princess of space plus one or is she princess of earth plus one? Because she started as a princess of Earth, and she now started she is, as a princess of space, was adopted by an Earth general, but making I think, her a princess. But she oh. had her class, like her first class was princess of Earth. Because uh, you don't immediately get a class when you're like four. You do if that class is upper. <laughs> <laughs> so Rock Pie goes in and starts doing the beam barrage and like enveloping the G self and the beam mantle. I think Gavin just straight up dies right there. I don't think he dies. It looks like he gets out of the way. Well, I was going to say, we see pieces of a mobile suit go flying. It is the B- G-Self's backpack. Oh, yeah, we do see that G-Self loses okay. backpack, yeah. Which was also in the um, series. <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the shot of uh, Rariah preparing to like cast her spell <laughs> makes me laugh every time I see it. Maybe she has finger lasers? I don't think she has finger lasers. She, no, ha- she okay, has she wrist lasers. lasers. She, ha- she has arm lasers. Luckily, Bellry is actually a wizard and knows G-Self, the G- and the G-Self is his arcane component pouch. <laughs> that is a, a nice addition, because they didn't have that, like, overlay in the series in front of Bellry's eyes. Yeah, it makes it look like the G-Self is absorbing energy from the guy trash and funneling it into the Crescent ship, and that's why it goes faster later, yep. and that's a cool touch. Um, this entire scene where he goes into the engine room is, like... Different in a way I'm not sure how to interpret. Uh, well, we're past the part where I saw before you guys got here, so I don't remember the differences. Okay, I like the shot of Naredo, like, slightly panicking. Between that and the music choices, it makes this feel like a climax to a movie instead of just the end of an episode, in a way I really like. Where it's like, oh god, we could crash and die. And Bell- they almost run Bellry down in this version. <laughs> yeah, because he's, like, relaxing from having beat Rock Pie, and he- so he's not paying any attention as the megafauna comes barreling past. Taking off his helmet, by the way. <laughs> Look, what else is going to dramatically bounce around in there? The marble he got earlier? But this causes Bellry to notice the door to the engine room in, like, a pretty okay, like, 3D shot of him approaching the door. <laughs> After the megafauna completes its hit and run. <laughs> Speaking of hit and runs, the guy trash comes in hot. And lands on the Gnosis. L- lands on the guy that was trying to flag them down to not go anywhere near the Crescent ship because we'll all be cursed. Whom we didn't mention because he wasn't changed. And still unchanges the meteor, running into the Gnosis, taking them out of this chase scene. So this scene with the engine room is different in that there's like a computer voice asking Bellry to like verify files and like enter command codes and stuff. It's also touched up and better animated. Yep. No, it looks a little bit better. Um, it also cuts out the scene where he inserts the thing by himself and Ida comes in and like suggests that he look for a place to insert it instead. 
she appears to know what's going on. And she's like, oh, yeah, just do what the computer voice says, Belle. What are you, a dummy? <laughs> like Jeremy said, they're trying to make Ida have like more agency rather than just have her kind of exist there. Like make her feel more like a deuteragonist instead of for a far love interest is sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say love interest, but now that doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it's like just is she just supposed to be eye candy now? She's supposed to be R, the audience's love interest, and I don't want her. Give me Mashner. <laughs> and it's the Ray Hunton legend code. The legend of Ray Hunton, present ship of time. I can workshop that. I can come up with something good, I'm sure. I do love also that Ida shoves him off the top of the G self. Like, haven't you played a video game before? Just press A all, all down along the wall, and surely eventually you'll find where <laughs> just, it goes. Just smash your face against the door and press A until you hit a prompt. So he does, and Ida's necklace starts going off. And she almost takes her suit off in space, because it presumably feels uncomfortable, before Bellry stops her from taking off her spacesuit in space. And then they get a, please enjoy your trip. <laughs> But so, like, the fact clearly. that there's a mechanical voice at all is new. So uh, what this apparently was, the Crescent ship, was a cruise ship. It so was their family's the private yacht. Yep. <laughs> you say the mechanical voice is new, new, and it definitely added more, but there was the line of, now beginning, regular operation. Oh, that's fair. It was like, regular? What? <laughs> well, we're on, they on before then. Uh, so they hop back into the G-Self, and uh, there's a rose on the G-Self's display, and they're like, well, what the hell does that mean? I guess we're going to Venus Globe. Then there's an awkward scene where Belry's like, you're pretty, and she's like, yeah, shut up about it, <laughs> weirdo. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of find Ida's reaction to it kind of funny. It was pretty good, where she just bonks him on the head. <laughs> yeah, she, she just head bonks him, and just, of course I am. Meanwhile, everyone on the bridge of the Megafauna has taken off their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Manny and Naredo act like they're friends or something. Yeah. Um, and Manny's like, hey, I'm a prisoner of war. And Naredo's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm a prisoner of war. Yeah, we don't actually know what that means here. <laughs> we knew for like five minutes with Ringo, but then we decided it wasn't very awesome and gave up on it. Well, I mean, they also have someone to vouch for Manny. Yeah. Which is more than they can say for anyone else so far. And we, we kind of end the episode with them seeing the bridge of the Crescent ship and Captain Kind being like, okay, depart, and making a depart motion. And then we zoom back out to the back of the Crescent ship and see it kick up its thrusters. I do like the shot of them like landing over the bridge and looking down and being like, it's not automated. There's people on board this thing. Yep. And I also like the long takeoff of the Crescent ship as the credits begin. Although it does make the Crescent ship look a little bit smaller in relation to the megafauna, because if I remember in the series, the megafauna fit entirely on the back of one of those things. Like it, it was entirely surrounded by the green portions of the Crescent ship instead of sticking out halfway. Yep. Uh, anyway, that's the end of the movie. Like I said, it's kind of my favorite of the movies. I think four and five are also pretty good. Two is definitely the one that sucks. Um, well, it's a very, it's very much of a bridging thing because. Even in those episodes, not a lot was going on. That's true. And I really like the added scene with Bellary in the forest. Yep. Do you have a high point, Tyler? Well, I was going to take the easy one. Well, um. that's <laughs> you get to go first, so you're allowed to do that. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the easy one and uh, go. go. Actually, I, I think of that scene, I actually like Naredo's part in it. Mostly because I like seeing her actually get to do something and have a character. And it's like nice to give her a character beat, even if we don't really touch on it again. It helps when we get so less, much less of her empty nest syndrome to add that in. And yeah. like I said, it clarifies for me what Naredo's deal is. Yeah, yeah, it, it very much works a lot towards that because previously it was kind of like, 
why exactly are you here? Is it just, hey, Bellary is my best friend, and so I'm going to follow him around and give him a hard time? Or is and Mariah it, I want, needs a mom, so I, <laughs> or I want more than that. So Of that scene, it's specifically going to be Naredo's part in it. Zach? I think I'm going to go with the change to the balcony scene, specifically out of that whole <laughs> Cutting sequence. Cutting it out entirely? Huh? Well, well, they still have the balcony scene. It's the, just the like, scene oh, between... never mind. I there are, you know what? Three, two other balcony scenes came to mind for me. Not the one you're talking about. <laughs> Fair. The balcony scene between Ida and Bell. Yeah, the scene, the, the scene that happens right after his high point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I will admit, I kind of like the credits where it's all the all the dance sequences, all the dance sequences from the eye catches in the series. So, uh, which part of the Bellary in the forest scene is your high point, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with the journey to Tawasanga, which, like I said, feels like one big battle with lots of dips and stuff. It's actually even between that and the end for me, because, like I said, I think they yeah. do a really good job of making the chase after the crescent ship feel like a big climax. No, it feels a lot better with a like. Rock Pie feels like a legitimate threat in this in a way that he just kind of felt like Monster of the Week in the show. Do you have a low point, Tyler? It's kind of a minor nitpick, but I think just like the transition into the cleanup episode is still one of the weakest parts for me. Like, I really wish they had just been like, oh, we're on Cyrano and like it's rumbling or something. And then we explained it as a rock. Like, it would have been really easy to add like one scene with all the other stuff they added. Especially since they added scenes already. Yeah. Right. Show the thing going down. Or show, show it, like, splitting open. Zach? I think mine is probably going to go with the um, fight between Bellary and the Gavin team, especially because of the change to the balcony scene right before it. Where it, they come to, like, what seems like a resolution before then, right? Or at the very least, more of a... A resolution is probably the right word. He shouldn't be all wound up anymore right after that, and yet they just kind of let it ride without changing anything about it. So uh, what's your low point, Jeremy? It's going to be Raya's recovery. We talked about it a lot, but I feel like it comes off as really sudden and just kind of happens in this movie version, even more so than in the series. Yeah, that's fair. We decided we're not doing MVPs for the movies, so any final thoughts on this one? Like I said, I like this movie. It's real hard for me to say just watch the movies because of the stuff they cut, and especially because I think movie two is such a slog, but I really enjoy this one. If you do need a summary, like if you can manage it, because you said four and five are actually quite good, you can watch the episodes up to the point when we get to this movie and then hit the movies instead, and you'll still get pretty much all the pertinent information. I've actually seen some people on the Gundam subreddit suggesting that is like you just watch the show up through like episode 12 and then just watch the movies from then on. Um, and I don't think that's a bad choice. I prefer the, mostly because we're doing a podcast on it, I prefer the episode by episode just because there's like a little bit more detail there. But... I mean, I would have to say I'd probably prefer the episode by episode simply by virtue of the fact that it's a lot easier to get the episodes. Well, there's also that. I thoroughly enjoyed actually watching this movie in a way that watching the individual episodes was like... I, I've mentioned a couple times watching uh, G-Reco is a little bit exhausting just because of the pacing. And I, I agree with Jeremy. This movie was excellently paced by comparison. So, And I, I think maybe just well-paced in a vacuum. In the vacuum of space. Hey! <laughs> All right! If there's nothing else to say, then we will be back next week with episode 19 of Reconquista in G, the one where Tomino says they get it together. The Venus Globe Gang. We'll be the judge of that, I think. <laughs> I'm going to be first mate of the pirates. <laughs> <laughs>